How often do any of us get a chance to see the truly wild? The places and the creatures who have yet to be tamed? My guess is you'd say, not very often. But one thing we always take for granted, the wild things that share our parks, gutters and gardens, most visibly, are our birds. And our feathered friends are in trouble. For this episode, we've decided to look up. We sent a tiny team to investigate. Sive and Rosa are bio-detectives. So Rosa, where are you this time? We're in Kilkenny. The nicest thing about Kilkenny is that there's nice spots to swim. We're here to meet some people who've been watching birds for quite a long time. I'm Pat Durkin, member of Birdwatch Ireland here in Kilkenny. I'm the gopher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mary, his wife. Ian McCullough, and I'm supposed to be the chairperson of Birdwatch Ireland, Kilkenny branch. Lorcan Scott, I'm the wildlife officer with the Heritage Council based here in Kilkenny. We're down along what is known as the Canal Walk. Where you're walking on now was where there was a canal being built years ago to bring boats from Kilkenny down to Inishtig. It's now closed in. We're walking actually in the canal, in the middle of the canal. Early summer, late spring, we get a lot of bird song here. Now, this time of the year, you don't get so much because most of the birds are molting. They're changing their feathers. There in the distance, the only thing you can hear now is the wood pigeon over there. He's saying his song, take two, John, take two. That's what he says. Birding is a hobby that you can start when you're pretty young. What was the first thing that got you interested in watching birds? Well, when I was about your age, I was in the Cubs in Clontarf in Dublin, and our cub master used to take us down onto Dollymount Beach, and he used to point out all the different seabirds to us. So that was where I started off bird watching. I grew up in Talla, which hasn't a huge species number of birds but we would have jumped on the bus and gone up to Blessington Reservoir and seen birds there. Now I think it was around 1986 I read an article about Birdwatch Ireland and I said oh I must join them and I looked to see was there a local branch and I discovered there wasn't so a couple of friends and myself decided we'd get together and we'd set up the branch you know in Kilkenny. I come from a farm so on the farm we had cows and sheep and pigs and ducks and turkeys and geese and in summertime we used to hear the cuckoo and we'd hear the corn creak and when we go to the bog to work at the turf I used to hear the, the red grouse and in the evening time you'd hear the snipe up in the sky making its noise almost like a goat I'm watching everything not just birds so I think you have to look at everything the birds, the animals, like we used to see the rabbits playing in the field during the day. The hares in late at night, late in the evening, very early in the morning. In springtime you see them chasing one another, which was great fun watching them. Then you'd hear at night, in winter's night, the cry of the vixen, which is the female fox. And now and again you'd hear the short bark of the dog fox. In the garden then, in the vegetable garden, we often had hedgehogs. You hear them crunching the snails as they were eating them. So I was interested in everything. It was a, a, an education for me. I didn't know I was doing it, but I just did it. So it, 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 that's how it came to me. Birds are one of the most visible and audible members of the biosphere that surround us. And sometimes they can be pretty noisy with it, as Neve Fitzgerald of Birdwatch Ireland explained when we met her on Bull Island. One of my earliest memories, and it always really stuck with me, we had starlings nesting in the corner of my room back at home, and they used to drive the dog crazy. She would try to run up the wall to get at them. Not sure what her plan was for when she reached them, but luckily she never got them. 
And just by chance, one morning when I looked out the window, they were leaving the nest one by one and sitting on the telephone wire across from the room. They paused there just long enough for me to see the full family portrait and then they all flew off and that was it. So it was a really nice encounter with these birds that I had kind of like grown up sharing almost a room with me <laughs> and then I got to see them fly off. So the, yeah, that was probably one of my earliest hooks into that world. <laughs> But we don't have to share a room with birds to be aware of their presence. Bird life is incredibly important. For one, bird life make up a lot of the species that people are tuned into and enjoy seeing around them. You know, we're switched off to a lot of different things, a lot of the insects and plants and things like that. So it's important for people to still be able to see nature. And one of the things they see most are birds. But also they're they're incredibly important part of the food chain. You know, they provide a lot of benefits to us if not just to keep our insects at bay. <laughs> our brain trust is certainly on board. I like birds. Our cats try and eat them, but we try and save getting the cats away from them. We feed them bird food. I don't really see birds in my garden a lot, mostly because sometimes my cat goes out in the garden and scares all the birds away. But if there were birds in my garden, I'd probably like plant a tree for them, but they could like make a family in. I always throw out food for the birds if they're always around. I sometimes throw out leftovers to the dogs, but the birds often come over and eat it. And I also sometimes in winter, I used to get some of the chicken food and put it on a small wall and on the bird feeder that looks like a house. My mum and I like to feed the birds to help them out. The birds we see are thrushes, magpies, pigeons, ravens, crows, blackbirds, robins, and in the summertime, seagulls. And once, we even saw an eagle. I do a lot for birds. So, first of all, we got this little twig in Junior Infants. Guys, remember that? Yeah. I, I planted in my garden now. It's like, it's oh, it's higher than my fence. And then, there's like five bird seeds out in my garden. There's a tree for them. And like, you know those little houses I put into them? Once there was a bird that was actually laying their eggs in it. I'm not sure if they mean anything to me. Uh, I like seeing them flying around though. Spring is the time they make the nests so the birds have a place to nest in winter where it's quite cold Mm. and they not often put feathers in the nest to make it warm or move and sout. I live in an apartment most of the time and we have a balcony but every single year one red robin comes and sits there and does a lovely Christmas poo on the balcony. (laughs) So each of us is already an amateur bird watcher whether we like it or not. But what if you wanted to take it more seriously? What kind of toolkit do you need to be a bird watcher? Curiosity would probably be the best asset to have. If you're curious about what you're looking at, where you are, what bird it might be. After that, a pen and pencil is often very handy to take notes. And as you start off, you might not have a clue what you're looking at. But as you start to look at them and study them, take a few notes, you see little differences and that makes all the difference. If you can afford a pair of binoculars after that... uh, That is a huge asset and that will open up a a lot of birds that are very far away from you and bring them quite close and that's that's a big help. And uh, when you go on and on and on then you can try for a telescope. Identity book like this one, The Birds of Ireland by Jim Wilson and Mark Carmody, that's a really good one because it's small. It's concise, it'll fit in your pocket. So that's what we use most of the time. One of the problems, particularly with children starting off, is they see a bird but it doesn't look like what's in 
the book that they have. Whereas this particular book that has the juvenile, the adult male, the adult female, all on the one page. Sometimes when we spot birds, it's not as individuals, but instead flying together in perfect harmony. Often when you see flocks of uh, birds like not, they do almost look like a murmuration. They're kind of changing, twisting and turning direction all of the time. Typically when you see a flock, it would usually be the majority, just one species. So you'd often get a big flock of golden plover, flock of not. Although when you're trying to count them, you do have to be uh, have your wits about you to pick out the odd <laughs> tunnelling in among the knot. Typically it's an evasive manoeuvre. Um, often they get disturbed by something like birds of prey, so they are harder to catch if they're operating as one flock and twisting and turning directions. The Kilkenny birders wanted to show us the parts of Kilkenny Castle where they and other volunteers have been working hard to make the spaces as kind to bird life as they possibly could. We go in now to Castle Park and we go to the ponds there. Uh, you meet a swan called Lucky. What happened is it was a last year's signet that was hatched over at uh, another lake, an artificial lake over in Kilkenny called Lakeside. And the people there, they're very good. They fed the, the swans with uh, the best of food, including tins of sweet corn and feed it to the swans. So when it came time for him to leave, he wouldn't go. The male swan, the cob, tried to chase him away uh, with no success. So eventually we were asked if we would take it and put it somewhere else. And I said, yes, there's a lake in the castle park. And he's so used to being fed that he'd probably stay there and he'd take the food from the people. Swans are vegetarian. They'll eat, eat grasses and they'll eat aquatic foods that they find in the bottoms of the lakes and rivers. Uh, what would you feed them? Well, grain, I suppose, is the best thing. Or uh, even peas, you know. But white bread is a kind of a no-no for them. And brown bread is no harm if you get wholemeal, wholemeal bread. Moldy bread is very bad because it gives disease to birds. So make sure that the bread that you put out isn't moldy. And the other <laughs> thing to do would be to soak it in water beforehand because if it's very dry... It can get stuck in their gullet. Soften it first before you put it out. Usually the swans and ducks are cute enough. They duck the food in the water first before they eat it. There are no food. Now here comes Lucky the swan. So the castle here, we're looking for a name for it. That would be, we don't know whether it's male or female, so they're looking for a name that would be gender neutral. So they called it Lucky. All the, all the children have seen in names that they, they thought... If somebody had a bit of food now, he will take it out of your hands. When we put the swan on to the lake here first, all the ducks disappeared all around the side. They just didn't know, what is this stranger? I've never seen this lad before. So they all were wary, and eventually they all came around. And you can see the ducks and the swan now, they're all uh, the one family, you might say. They're all together. We would have uh, little grebes here, and we would have... Coots and water birds. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, was that a little little breed, commonly yeah. called the dab chick. It's yeah. the smallest water bird, just under the branch there. The little house here. You have a moor hen. See him? They're all quite happy living together. Moor hens, dab chicks, the mallard, and that. Some will have longer necks to get deeper in the water to feed at the bottom. Others will be feeding off insects on the leaves and that. So. Um, they're not in any competition with each other, so they're quite happy to live together. But some birds don't really want to play nice. But if you look over there now, you see our grey heron over there. That He's over on one of the pods we have over there. So he's watching out for something to feed on. Now, it could be a young duck. It could be a tadpole. I don't know if there's fish in there. He could be looking for something. He could be looking for any kind of a bird, a small bird, a chick. 
he would feed on it. But I think at the moment he's probably just preening there, uh, getting himself ready to have another feed somewhere else. Another one of the important activities birders can help out with is keeping count of the birds that they see. And one they're really watching is the swift. Why is it important that we count swifts and what does it tell us about other birds? We have been charting the, the swift numbers for four years and uh, this year we found extra nests, which was very good. So we have 16 pairs in the castle actually itself. We need to know like if the, uh, the numbers are going up or down and that way then if we see that a bird is endangered, we can do something about it and find out the reasons why. Unfortunately, the numbers on the red list are gone up. One of the biggest threats to bird life is access to regular nesting spots and this is a real issue for the swift. Because adult swifts are completely site-specific. That means that the adult pair return to the same hole, in the same wall, in the same town every year. Now the OPW, who are doing up old buildings, want Birdwatch Ireland to let them know where the swifts are nesting so that when they come to point the old walls and the old buildings they don't fill in the holes where the birds will be nesting because once they fill those holes those adults won't nest there anymore and it's also the reason why we're putting up swift nest boxes on older buildings to give them somewhere to nest because of course there aren't as many old buildings and many of them have been pulled down over the years. This loss of man-made habitat is mirrored in the loss of the natural spaces that birds call home. For birds, you know, they're great indicators of your natural habitat, more so off water than, than on it, you know, um, your woodlands, your farmlands and that. Those spaces we use for agriculture, our countryside and the forests that we use for recreation might once have rung to the sound of birdsong. But the last 30 years have seen a marked change. Every four years, the World Birds Report is published by BirdLife International and the most recent publication was just a few weeks back. Its findings are deeply troubling. Birdwatch Ireland shared the fact that 25% of Irish birds are showing a severe decline in numbers and we can add an additional 37% showing moderate declines. When we zoom out to a global scale, the picture isn't any better. Currently, almost half of bird species worldwide are in decline, with just 6% increasing. Things are so bad that one in eight bird species globally is currently threatened with extinction. But what is driving these losses? There is no one driver. Um, it's quite a complex question to try and answer because there's so many different factors. A, a colleague of mine always says it's a death by a thousand cuts. So birds are being hit from several different sides and, and that goes across all the groups. They face things like habitat loss or habitat change and that can feed into things like a reduction in the amount of food available. For the garden birds and some of the birds, pesticide use would reduce the number of insects and therefore they don't have as much food to eat. With the water birds, they come up against developments and the change in spaces. Humans were grabbing up all of the natural spaces for our own use and they just don't have as many places to go. There can be different things as well, like disease makes them sick. And for our wintering water birds, they also face problems in their own breeding grounds as well, such as predation and, and habitat change and habitat loss. The modernising of agricultural practices, so our big combine harvesters, our tractors and that, are so much faster than the, the horse and cart that would have been used. So our old hay meadows, I mean, most farms would have had a bit of hay, a bit of oats, pasture and you know it was a very gentle landscape for our wildlife so things like corncrake and curlew could manage 
to live in the environment these days. While we are getting a higher production, that has come at a cost for our wildlife. So that is part of it. And when you put that with things like climate change, the timing even of insects hatching, that things like swifts and swallows and that rely on the caterpillars of certain moths and butterflies. If they arrive at the wrong time, their chicks go hungry. So it's very complex and there's a lot of research going into it. There are species certainly in serious decline and we have to respond very quickly to, to reverse that. And as Mary said, then there are other species that are expanding because, again, of climate change, being able to make use of areas that have been vacated by other species as well. As Lorcan says, climate change and its impacts are unpredictable. And what Neve sees on Bull Island backs this up. So one of the big things that we've noticed about climate change in terms of our water bird numbers, our wintering water birds, is that a lot of the areas where they come from in the northern hemisphere, they're not freezing over as much anymore. So there are areas closer to their breeding grounds that are now milder and, and not frozen as much where there is available food. So we have this phenomenon called short stopping, where the birds are not coming as far as Ireland because we're actually right on the outer edge of their kind of migratory range so they're kind of staying that little bit closer to home and I mean you couldn't blame them if you can make a three hour flight instead of a 12 hour flight you totally would (laughs) there's lots of different factors at play but this is one of the things that we're seeing is really causing big shifts in our water bird numbers they're kind of shifting to the north This shifting of weather patterns and bird movement can lead to some strangers landing on our shores that we've never seen before Last year's birders in Roscommon recorded sighting an Egyptian vulture. I, I don't think any of us are experts on Egyptian vultures uh, here in Kilkenny especially. You know. uh, so it was a vagrant. As a species, they're starting to move their range. They're beginning to breed, I believe, up in uh, north of France even now. There's a small population established there. And it's probably from there that this bird came across. So when you get uh, storms and winds and that, it can blow certain species Uh, away from their normal range sometimes they establish a breeding colony sometimes they don't Uh, with the Egyptian vulture it's unlikely now uh, one vulture ain't going to do it so uh, uh, but it it is fascinating to see and it is from accidents like that that you know we we get certain species probably the return of the great spotted woodpecker was a similar occurrence Mm -hmm. after a storm you know they, they made it across the Irish Sea and now we have the return of a key species in our woodlands and that, which is fantastic. The woodpecker is a good news story, but sadly it's one among many ever more precarious bird species. Uh, a lot of our upland birds are very threatened. You have the curlew down to 130 pairs. You have the hen harrier, which is now on the amber list, not quite on the red yet. The red grouse, all of those birds. The golden plover as well. See, all those birds used to fly in together and because that gave them cover against predators now, but those, the numbers have gone down, down, down. So they're a prey to other, you know, predatory birds. Some uh, bad land management in yeah. the previous years where they planted right up onto the hillside and that brought grey crows and foxes right up onto the hill where they could look out over where birds were nesting and they certainly know now that that can have a huge impact. But I uh, like some of the schemes that Birdwatch are involved in are coming to a close now, so we need to move fast. Like I'm afraid that the whole thing's going to unravel and, you know, we will lose our upland birds. That's my fear. 
we're at a really important point now. You know, a lot of effort is going to be needed if we're going to change the fortunes of these declining species. And it's a, it's a hard one to call. I'm hopeful that we will be able to save the likes of our curlew and our corn crake so that they don't go extinct. One term that I recently came across is shifting baseline syndrome. What it means is that we can only know what we're losing when we know what we've had. Gradual changes are hard to spot and it's hard to talk about absence and the loss of bird life when we never knew they existed in the first place. What we know is normal for nature is different from our parents' experience and even more different from our grandparents. Birds have gone extinct in our lifetimes, but if they were never in your conscience, how would you know that they were missing at all? We have lost species before, so one of the more recent extinctions we would have had is the corn bunting, and they largely just exist now in the memories of people, and they don't even exist in the memories of many people because they've been lost. We don't want that to happen to all these other species. So it's a very important point in history now where we really need to switch on. We need to switch on and recognise what we have there and to stop the loss of those species but I'm hopeful now because there's you know so many kids getting out there and campaigning Fridays for Futures and things like that and it's slowly trickling up to politicians caring more and hopefully taking more positive action. Guys it all feels very sad and I'm sorry to tell such sad stories but it is really important that we pay attention. The more we see the birds around us, the more we notice the good and bad things that are happening to nature, the more we are likely to shout about it. There are good stories as well within the more serious ones. Up until last year, they only had one known owl site in the whole of Westmead. This year, there's seven. A lot of the old estates, woodlands that were planted, the trees there are really over-mature and the stronger, more regular storms that we're getting are felling a lot of these big old trees that barnows would have used and we're just not planting enough woodland to replace it not quick enough not enough of it so uh, one of their just their basic requirements to have a nest in an old mature tree isn't available for a lot of them we're relying on, on what people did 60 70 years ago now open up special boxes for them now where the jackdaws usually take over the barnows nest see this box that was supposed to be put up there for barnows but do you know what went into it? Honeybees. You can see a few there now, yeah. Yeah, if you look up through... Uh, oh, I didn't bring my binoculars with me. But if you look up there now, you see the honeybees going in and out. And they're there for nearly 10, 12 years now. So there must be loads of honey in that box. We were trying to encourage barn owls. Although here in Kilkenny now, we were doing a survey on barn owls and we had John Lusby ringing them. So we came across 26 barn owl nests. There's uh, somewhere between two and four in each nest, maybe somewhere between 75 and 80 owlets here in Kilkenny alone. We had yeah, them last here. Last year was a particularly yeah, good yeah. year for barn owls. There were 192 sites, and of those sites, 59 were actually boxes that people put up. So it makes a difference, you know. There the, there the owlets being fed. Look, see them there? That's the sound they make. That's the sound they make. Very scary, isn't Sounds it? like my children. <laughs> They don't exactly sound cute, but the work birds do is vital. And you guys have your favourites. My favourite bird that doesn't live in Ireland anyway is the househawk. They're amazing creatures that hunt in packs. The robin, because my family says that it's a reminder of all the people that have 
died in your family. They say it tells Santa who is good or bad. And my favourite in Ireland, I would say, is the buzzards. They're always moving, normally hunting a lot. Sometimes they will eat carrion. Carrion is a dead animal that's gone rotten, like the Tasmanian devils eat and vultures eat. A chicken, because because they go, and that's funny. I like to eat eggs. I also like to eat chicken. Once again, the brain trust showing that man is truly the biggest enemy to bird life. Right, let's turn things around and see how we can make a difference. What's the best kind of thing that kids can do to encourage different types of birds around their house? My key piece of advice would be just to get outside as much as you can and really notice nature. There's plenty of time for you to start learning all of the different names of the different species if that's something that you want. But don't get too hung up on it, you know, don't get overwhelmed by it. But one of the best ways I have found to start really noticing nature and wrapping your head around what is out there is to log it, like to take note of what you're seeing. So a really good way to to do that is logging what you see either, you know, on your daily walk or when you visit a new reserve or something. Log it on bird track. So that's birdtrack.net. And then when it comes to the winter, I really suggest taking part in the Garden Bird Survey. So not only do these things help you get a sense of what is out there and start to recognise the species that you're seeing all the time, it's contributing to conservation and helping us learn more about what's out there and what our bird species are doing. You yourself are getting lots of enjoyment out of it, but it, it can produce some really meaningful results then for conservation in Ireland. Also, I would suggest if you can become a a junior member of Birdwatch Ireland because one, it supports all the work that's going on to help our birds and our biodiversity, but also you get Bird Detectives magazine twice a year, which will tell you lots about the bird species that you're seeing and often there's beautiful posters in the centrefold different species groups and things like that which will just help you learn more and switch on to what is going on and when you are a member of Bird Watch Ireland as well you can learn about the different activities that are going on through our branches um, all around the country. Thanks so much to Birdwatch Ireland and their members for helping us out with this episode. Neil Fitzgerald on Bull Island, Pat, Mary, Ian and Lorcan in Kilkenny our brain trust, Amelia, Juno, Max, Sack, Oren, Cashel and Sophie. And of course, our intrepid field reporters, Simon Rosa. The latest budget didn't offer more funding for nature conservation at a time when it is greatly needed. And this is frustrating. It's now that our voice and our actions are even more important. The more we notice, the more we speak out about the loss of nature, and in this case, bird life, the greater the chance we have of taking action. Birds are a vital cog in the great machine of biodiversity and one that's clearly in need of attention. On a negative front, I would imagine that a lot of our natural spaces have been overrun by development and there's a lot less available space for birds to use as refuge and nature in general. Actually, here on Ball Island, disturbance causes a big issue, not just for birds, but also for seals and for lizards and, and frogs as well. I'm, I'm sure there's been you know, trampling of, of some of the plants and things too. So the more kind of developments take over that space, the less space there is for humans to kind of walk around and enjoy without disturbing nature. The losses might be hard to notice as one bird type disappears another can grow in numbers to take that space. The theory is that as our species decline, we'll end up with a similar number of actual individual birds, 
but just much less species, so much less variation, which, you know, all around is, is not as good. Different species offer different positive things. They all have their different niches, which is actually why you see birds looking so differently. You know, curlew has a very long bill, whereas a dunlin has a, you know, is, has a shorter bill. It's all because they eat different kinds of food. They have their different niches, so they're built to access different food sources. <laughs> I would love to see us bolster the species that we do have, at very least to stop the declines, the many species that are declining. The ones that are increasing can keep increasing. <laughs> Certainly for our breeding species, you know, we have some really horrendous stories and, and fates coming down the line with the likes of Curlew and Corn Crake that you know are nearly lost and then plenty of other red listed species are on the brink. Now as it may seem we do have a window to make a difference. If we can just wise up and start protecting our nature and our natural spaces, stop the degradation and the destruction of habitats where possible. At very least I'd like to see things staying at the level they are, but ideally we would see, you know, all those species we have returning to the, their former glory. Ecolation was produced by Nikki Cochlin with edit assistance from Eva O'Neill and it was presented by me, Evie Kenny. This is our... Junior Boy!